This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 38. Hello and welcome to another episode. This week's guest is someone, if you've ever spent any time on Instagram or on Pinterest, I'm going to wager you've come across her work at some point. Beth Kirby, aka Local Milk, is a powerhouse of food photography, of styling, of recipes, and of general online gorgeousness. But what you might not realise is that she built that incredible, aspirational and unstoppable brand off the back of a diagnosis of bipolar disorder and a failed marriage with zero photography experience. And she's more than happy to talk about it. So Beth's work has inspired me for such a long time, so it was really fun to finally get to speak to her one-on-one for this episode and share our passion for the world of online community for anyone who feels like maybe they don't quite fit in with the norm. Hi Beth, welcome to the podcast. Hi Sarah, thank you so much for having me. It is really nice to be speaking to you. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. It really has. So I suspect a lot of people listening have already come across you and your amazing work, but for anyone who hasn't put that together yet, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I am what they call a multi-passionate, so I do a lot of things. I run a food, travel, and lifestyle blog called Local Milk, uh, where I share primarily real food, wholesome recipes, as well as travel guides and advice on slow living and tips for reclaiming your time. Uh, But over the past five years, I've also hosted creative retreats around the world. We've hosted them in Japan, Morocco, France, Spain, Sweden. I could go on. We've done a lot of them where I teach sort of the behind the scenes of how I built the business the way I did. So there I teach photography, editing, social media, marketing, branding, and sort of the behind the scenes business stuff. And the business stuff is kind of coming to the fore in some online programs that you're putting together at the moment. Is that right? That's right. We have big, exciting plans to roll out a series of e-courses that cover topics that I know my audience is super passionate about, like how to build an authentic brand, how to reach your tribe on social media, how to grow that social media, and really how to make an income and an impact doing what you love and not working for someone else or doing something that you don't believe in. Yes, which is what we are all about. I think that's everybody listening to this can relate to that dream or that goal. Yes. The kind of the other element of what we said we were going to talk about today is and I think it fits really well with everything you've just said, is uh, living with a mental disorder or mental illness and how that can intersect with being a creative entrepreneur. You know, I this is not scientific. This is purely speculative, although I've probably read it somewhere. I'm guessing that there is actually a high rate of mental illness in the creative entrepreneur community. Because I think a lot of the weaknesses of mental illness are double-sided coins and can actually act as strengths. And I think that the strengths of something like, well, what I'm diagnosed with is bipolar one. I think a lot of that actually properly maintained is some of my strengths as well. So it's my father used to say that I was like nuclear fission. I could either destroy cities or power them. (laughs) Um, And I think that that's a really great way to look at mental illness, that it, it can be properly managed, actually an asset. And that a lot of the personality traits associated with the illness are also personality traits associated with entrepreneurs and creatives. Well, do you know, I Googled it before we spoke. 
And there was one thing that said 49% of entrepreneurs have a mental disorder. See, I knew it. Yeah, that's a lot because that's, I mean, that's 50%, but that is not 50% of the population, is it? Like it's a small percent of the population that are entrepreneurs. And it was interesting because a lot of the articles I read, or I didn't, I skimmed, were trying to link it and saying being self-employed causes mental disorder. And I was thinking, no, no, I think it's the other way around. I think we get into these kind of jobs A, because the nine to five perhaps just doesn't suit the way our bodies work or our minds work or our creativity works. And B, because like you say, you can kind of weaponize some of those features of what's going on and and turn it to your advantage. I completely agree. I definitely think that I actually always say that I built my career around my weaknesses. I know that I'm mercurial. I'm going to be up. I'm going to be down. So I need a job where I can be down when I'm down, where if I'm not going to be able to get up or show up, no one's going to fire me. And so I created a career where the only person who can fire me is me. (laughs) I am the same. That is exactly, I wanted a career I could do from my bed because I need to sleep all day sometimes. And again, you can't really get away with that with a nine to five. You can't call them sick because you feel tired. No. So yeah, I was like, well, I can work from my phone if I'm in bed. So what can I do from my phone and build everything up around that? It's amazing what you can do from your phone now. I think that the internet, for all of its downsides, is a really beautiful opportunity for people with mental illness to build a career because it does allow for such flexibility and such mobility and there's so much power in it. And I feel like one of the reasons though you and I got speaking about this because I put out a bit of a call on Instagram for people, especially people who are working on making their creative dreams come true. Um, and living with one of the less seen mental illnesses. So I feel like we've all made huge steps in destigmatizing depression and anxiety. And that is something that you see talked about a lot more these days. But there's like the second tier of mental illness that still doesn't get talked about quite so much. So things like bipolar or hearing voices or schizophrenia or personality disorders kind of it still feels like there's a taboo around that. Do you encounter that? I'm kind of an oblivious person. (laughs) So um, unless someone like comes right out and is rude to me, I'm not really going to notice it. And frankly, no one's done that. I think that part of why I am so passionate about sharing about bipolar disorder and the fact that I have it is because I do know, while I haven't encountered it personally or noticed it personally, um, there's a difference probably, I know that that taboo does exist. And it is a point of shame for people. And it's also a point of hopelessness for people. People think that if they are diagnosed with that, or if they suffered with it their whole lives, then maybe there's not hope. And I know, I mean, that's why I'm so passionate about teaching my sort of message that I want to send out to the world is it's possible. It's all possible. Because I'm a great case study for that. If I can do it, anybody can. (laughs) Truly. That and that is why I really was really excited to get you on the podcast because you if there is anyone who is a role model for people who believe it's not possible with whatever issues they're struggling with you have got to be the perfect example because your business is amazing your work is beautiful there is no part of your life online that doesn't appear aspirational but you're also really real about it and you know you're open about the struggles you've had and the things that have held you back and moved you forward along the way. Yeah, I think it's really important to speak out because I think that when you give it a voice, more people feel comfortable giving it a voice. And then we realize it's not that uncommon. I think that people who've struggled with this feel like a freak or abnormal. And 
while it may not be the majority of the population, if you put all the people together who suffered with mental illness of some form, there's a lot of us. It's a pretty common thing. And I also like to normalize it. If you had a bum knee, you wouldn't be uh, ashamed about it. Mm -hmm. You had a bad back, you wouldn't be ashamed about it. To me, it's a physical malady and there's no shame in it. And it's just something that we have to talk about openly and treat properly and acknowledge, I think, as a culture. Absolutely. The, the emails I got, like nearly all of them, and there's a lot I still have to reply to, but nearly all of them said, I'm telling you this, but I've not told everybody else yet, or I'm not out yet, or I've not ever mentioned it on Instagram or my blog. And those people, you know, they were feeling shame, but it wasn't their own shame. It's shame that was put upon them by other people, by the wider world. And I feel like if we can all make it a little bit more visible and a little bit more part of the whole big picture, then some of that shame might start to move. I completely agree. And something that I used to get because I talk openly about all of my past, and I think if you're bipolar, untreated, it can lead to a lot of other colorful Mm. (laughs) events in one's history, (laughs) to put it euphemistically. But I talk openly about all of that and people would come up to me and say, you're so brave. And I was like, I'm really not. I'm not. It doesn't bother me. And I think if you have that pain inside to not compare it to someone like me who like strangely, it just it doesn't bother. And it's probably because I came out on the other side. If you talk to me in the middle of it, when I was, you know, in the gutter, maybe literally or figuratively, I might not have been so keen to share. So really, it's it's easy to be brave when you're on the other side. But I also know that it's much harder when you're in the throes of it. And yeah, once I got to the other side, it seemed super, super important to talk about it openly so that people could at least know it's possible because I didn't think it was possible. Um, no one around me thought it was possible. Yeah. So it seems like a really, really important message that properly treated and managed and that there are multiple ways to do that. You can achieve a life um, that isn't just passable, that's actually thriving and joyful an abundant one where you can actually help other people. Like if you're in a position where you can't even help yourself, you can't even get up out of bed. The sock on the floor looks like it weighs 500 pounds. <laughs> um, I relate. <laughs> it's like, I can't even pick up this sock. How could I ever affect positive change in the world? I've been there. I still go there. It's not like that doesn't happen to me anymore. And that's why I'm okay. I'm just uh, someone who has learned to ride those waves and I hope to share that with people so that they can learn to do the same. I hope everyone who needs to hear that lesson is listening or gets to listen to this. I've said to my husband the other day, we were watching a documentary on homelessness and I said, I... I actually think like I could be someone who ended up absolutely cutting away from society because I'm I'm rubbish at all of the things that society requires us to do. Like I'm terrible at paying bills. I'm terrible at nine to five, terrible at filling in forms. But with the right structure around me, I'm actually really good at like making a business and being productive and being creative. But it's often that the systems that we're all expected to play into and the rule book that we're all supposed to follow doesn't work all that well with our own brains or our own capabilities. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that that's one of the most damaging things people come to believe about themselves uh, when they have mental illness is that they have almost moral failings, like you're irresponsible, you're lazy, you're... I could think of some other things people have said about me in the past. (laughs) (laughs) You're... Mm, yeah, not the best person. And 
actually those were all symptoms of the disorder and that again properly treated and with the right support system and just systems i create around me i can within reason function as a responsible adult and even business owner but i think that we blame ourselves and use words like lazy Mm. irresponsible because that's what we were told uh, when in fact that couldn't be farther from the truth. I lived my life thinking I was lazy and irresponsible, and I am just about as far from that as possible. Now, yes, I am forgetful. I'm scattered. <laughs> Certain minutia really overwhelms me, and I've learned to either create systems that make it easy for me or to outsource and delegate, whether that's like my husband <laughs> for household things that I'm not good at or an employee, or if it's something that he's not good at and I'm not good at and it doesn't make sense to hire anyone, I do think that's another amazing thing about technology and the internet. They're just such great systems. I mean, all of my bills auto pay. That's not something I have to worry about anymore. We're currently setting up accounting, bookkeeping, and payroll system that I'll be completely hands-off on. I just, and this is something I want to share with people, just went through... um, my 2016 taxes, 2016, just did last week. Um, it was 2013 was a big mess. 2014 was still a big mess. 2015 was still a big mess. And 2016, I still didn't do it on time. I had to file for extensions or my accountant did that. I certainly couldn't have done that on my own, but I went through it and it was less of a mess. I was actually kind of putting business expenses on a business account and personal expenses on the personal account. Check you like, out. <laughs> but I, this is the first year I've been in business for six freaking years. And I, I finally, I, I was actually talking to my mom. I was like, it's absurd. It's absurd for me to think. And I think a lot of creative entrepreneurs do this, that I should be able to do the job that traditionally a team does. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a bookkeeper. <laughs> These are not the things I'm not even a manager really by nature. I don't really like managing people. I'm mm. just like being really nice to them all the time. <laughs> yes. Um, don't like telling them what to do. I certainly don't like firing them. Um, but I realized I need to outsource these things. Um, no highly successful business was built with someone like me, who's more of a visionary and a creative and a big picture person doing the bookkeeping. That is a business that will eventually fail. <laughs> and to take that pressure off of myself was really, really helpful. But I think if you're in the beginning and you can't afford to outsource it, there are amazing tools online, QuickBooks, FreshBooks, Wave is good to people in the UK. What's that? I use one called Wave, which is quite good. I don't know if that's just UK. I have no idea. Yeah, there's just so many. So you can really create tools and templates and systems that will help you manage that, even if it's not your strong suit. But yeah, just know, six years in, my bookkeeping was still a complete disaster. (laughs) 2018 is our year, and it looks really good now. I delegated mine to my husband last year, so I've had two years of uh, tidy bookkeeping thanks to him because, yeah. My husband's worse than me, so. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, but it's what my, um, actually, my brother's wife's parents, uh, his in-laws would call it two ticks and no dog. <laughs> two people with weaknesses. <laughs> Yeah, both of us are pretty creative. We're actually very similar, which means we do a lot of outsourcing when it comes to the stuff that we're bad at. It's so powerful to realize that, though, and to kind of let go of the guilt of thinking you have to do it all. Because you already do a lot of people's jobs. You do. You're a photographer. You're a writer. You're an educator. 
you're a mum. Like you don't need to be adding extra jobs to that list. No, I realized the hyphens had gotten a little out of control. <laughs> Bookkeeper did not need to be added to that. Um, but I'm very passionate about that side of things, the bookkeeping side, the financial side, the personal finance side, because I think, again, as creatives and especially creatives with mental illness, that is going to be a big area of struggle. And it's also an area nobody talks about. Nobody does. <laughs> no. So, you know, that's that's something that I want to talk about a lot more moving forward, talk about it on social media. If we launch that podcast, want to talk about it there and just sort of open up the conversation so people feel like they have the resources and to normalize their experience so they don't feel like the mess they made is abnormal or makes them horrible people. Because I think a lot of creatives who start businesses don't really understand what's going to happen when they succeed. That's so um, true. <laughs> oh, you know, I'll just have the money and the money will be mine. And that's it. And it's like the realities of taxes and expenses and, you know, revenue versus profit. These are really foreign concepts to creatives in general, much less if you've lived a life struggling with, you know, the sock on the floor. So yeah, which usually I, then comes along with struggling financially just because you're not able to take care of yourself. Right, right. So I think that that's something really, really important for the creative community in general, but people who struggle um, with mental and emotional health as well, um, because that's I had any experience with, I mean, my entire adult life until the past six years. The first time I sold out my e-course and I had more money in my bank account than I'd ever had before, and I had to phone my friend and I was like, what? do I have to have a special bank account to have this much money? Because I had no idea. I'd never had it. It's like, does it, do I have a business account? <laughs> totally legitimate question. And yeah, I think learning to navigate that is something, I mean, when you have a history that is colored by mental illness, usually financial responsibility is not one of the facets of your path. And, you know, people always ask me, what did you do before local milk? And the answer is um, nothing, nothing. <laughs> I was in and out of school. I'd been a waitress. I got married. I got divorced. Um, I drank and did drugs a lot for 10 years, uh, for 10 years. And I struggled with relationships. I couldn't commit. I was generally not the most faithful person. My ex-husband, who's now a friend, would attest to that. Um, but we were both a mess when we were together. And so I just had 10 years of destruction and pain and suffering from this illness untreated because in the periods of mania that bipolar causes, spending money, mm -hmm. using drugs, promiscuity, these are really icky symptoms of bipolar disorder that nobody talks about. And it's something that I like to be really, really open about because for my whole life, I thought I was a horrible person. And then I got diagnosed with this disorder and they described it to me and it felt like this huge relief, but also I was scared to accept it, not because it was too good to be true, but it felt too easy. I wanted to keep beating myself up. I so deeply believed that it was my fault and that I was a bad person that I could hardly accept the relief that was the diagnosis. It felt like I was shirking my own responsibility 
Because that list, that is the things that society loves to sh- to just pile morality on all of it. Yes. Like, yes, <laughs> it is. It is the the top ten list of like moral code from religion yeah. and from history and from family and from everywhere. So. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't a magic wand then of like, oh, hey, this is me. This is my illness. And I no longer feel these things about myself. It Was it a longer journey to kind of realizing where the disease ends and you start? Definitely. Like you said, I mean, it's sex, drugs and rock and roll. This sort of <laughs> holy trinity of, you know, immorality. And that was my whole life for 10 years. That really was. That was my life. And including the rock and roll, that was the only thing I was really passionate about was, and I was, I was a fan. I couldn't musically, I can't even clap. Um, (laughs) I was going to shows, collecting records, having house parties and dressing the part. And I found meaning in all of that, which is funny because looking back, I'm like, wow, that's just, it doesn't look very meaningful in hindsight, but I was desperate to create some semblance of community and meaning and importance for myself. So injecting myself into that scene where my symptoms were normalized, sort of. Um, But even within the scene I was hanging out in, I was extreme. I started to alienate people there. (laughs) You know, it's, uh, and that's when I kind of knew maybe something wasn't right. Even in the party scene, it was like, ooh, she parties a little too hard. That doesn't really look like a party anymore. That's kind of scary. And it took me a long time to stop seeing myself that way I think it really helped because I I really rebooted my life I didn't have any of the same people in my life other than my family and I was really lucky and I know not everyone has this my family never saw me that way they always really loved me and saw who I was and now the people in my life that I'm close to aside from a handful didn't really know me then. So I don't have to worry as much about being seen through that lens. But I live in a small town in Tennessee. And a lot of people still remember me from back then. (laughs) Sometimes when you're at the grocery store, and someone's looking at you like, oh, you're like, Oh, God, Oh, no. What do they know? What do they remember? But yeah, I think also, once you walk a different path and you get healthy and you experience success both personally and professionally, it becomes easier and easier. That just becomes your identity. But I have never forgotten where I came from. And again, that's why I like to be so open about it because I don't want people to think that I'm perfect or I always had it together or I'm some exception to the rule. I, I mean, I am an exception to the rule, but on the bad side of things, not the good <laughs> Um, And I feel like that should, because I actually surveyed my audience recently and I asked them what their biggest struggle was. And that actually surprised me that the number one thing people said ahead of everything else was lack of confidence Um, over time or over money. The thing that they struggled with most was lack of confidence. Mm. And I feel like, well, if I share all of this, that's got to make you feel a little more confident because <laughs> you're probably ahead of where I was. Right, because we think we have to be ready. Everyone, you think you have to be perfect and have all your shit together before you can start the business, the dream, the whatever. 
But actually, if you're waiting for that, it's never going to happen. Yeah, I agree. Actually, one of the people I look up to most in the food blogging space, Heidi Swanson, we were, she has a blog called 101 Cookbooks. We were messaging on Instagram. We were talking about videos and she used the phrase, uh, she was talking about learning video. She goes, yeah, I just embrace the public learning curve. And I love <laughs> that phrase, <laughs> embracing the public learning curve, because that's exactly what I did when I started my blog. I never touched a camera before starting my blog. I had no experience. I taught myself as I went. I actually have a series coming up that I'm going to do on Instagram stories that's just screenshots from every year Uh. of my Instagram accounts starting at the beginning. And it's inspired. There's a stylist named Emma Batner, and she has a hashtag hashtag that she calls maybe she wasn't born with it (laughs) and I really want to show people the progression because like those first images in my feed back in I think 2012 are so bad I mean they're like wow it's amazing so I really want to show people that journey so that they understand it is a journey I didn't wake up and roll out of bed one day like this it's been a six-year journey of showing up every single day and working really hard uh, for something I really wanted and believed in. And it takes a lot of self-belief to do that, to do the public learning curve. Mm -hmm. And I can see why people get tempted and think like, I don't want to tell anyone about my blog until it's perfect. I don't want to start posting on my new Instagram account until I know exactly what I'm going to share every day. But the reality is that you have to go through that learning curve somewhere and I find doing it online, at least then you've got your cheer squad around you who are actually yeah. motivating you to do it. Yeah. And I, you know, I always say it either takes self-confidence or a lack of self-awareness, which was more, <laughs> I wasn't like so confident. I was just oblivious. I was like, yeah, okay. I'm just going to put this here. That's good enough. Okay. Whatever. I, I never looked down. And I think that's really important is don't look down. And I didn't look around me. I didn't look at what other people were doing and compare myself to them. And I think that is one of the biggest reasons I was able to succeed because I think that will be discouraging more than anything because what you end up doing is comparing your first act to someone's sixth act Mm -hmm. and that's not an accurate bar and also I think that my horrible history was actually a blessing because for me everything was uphill. There was no downhill. Like my crappy pictures online was a major win. Getting paid 20 bucks for a picture, major win, you know? So even the things that other people would feel bad about made me feel good because every step was a step up from where I was coming from. Oh, I love that. That's, that's truly like weaponizing the bad stuff that's happened to you to make yeah. it into yeah a ladder to good stuff do you think it's harder for people now because of that because of that comparison online between you know there's always someone doing what you want to do already and doing it brilliantly and also I know you touched on this on an Instagram caption just this week uh, that desire to kind of copy what the other people around you were doing like it seems to be something that people really worry about these days well Speaking to the first thing about people who are worried about standing out in an oversaturated niche or market, I say the same thing over and over and over again, and people will hear me say it again, and that is there is always always room at the top and no one starts there. Mm. (laughs) And 
Also in niches, people are often growing out of niches. So someone who is maybe at the top of their game, you'll notice this if you watch closely, they may start to get bored and change and move on. <laughs> and then there becomes room in that niche and you'll do the same. So it's not a concrete space. It's ever evolving and opening up and making room for new people. So I just think you have to remember no one ever started at the top. And there's always room there. So if you just focus on getting really good at what you do, I really believe that you won't fail if you don't hide it under your bed like Emily Dickinson. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine. But seriously, just create great work and don't hide it under your bed. And if you just focus on that instead of the hustle and the networking and the followers and the numbers, I think you're going to be met with a lot of success. And speaking to the copying issue, I was really, really felt led to talk about that in my caption because I have heard so many friends, followers, guests, students, um, I myself have dealt with it. And I really like to talk about the difference between inspiration and copying. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I wouldn't call copying rare. I know that it happens. It happens, especially when I know that corporations especially um, will take independent designers' designs and then mass produce them on the cheap without giving them a cut or credit. Yeah. And that's really hurtful because that's, that's quite actually financially hurtful. It's theft. Yeah, if it's theft or an infringement of copyright or something you can take legal action on and it's actually hurting your livelihood, it's legitimately hurting your ability to make a living, I would look into your legal options. However, there's something else that happens and that's inspiration and I think a lot of times people confuse inspiration with copying and I would say copying to me is someone who is maybe in direct competition with you systematically and methodically copying your every move or stealing your concepts and doing it secretively so they're not shouting you out. They're not saying they're not friendly. They don't follow you, but maybe they look at your stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's sort of this secretive, unfriendly, methodical thing that continues to happen over time. So it's not one photo. It's not this or that. It's just someone systematically and secretively doing it without being very friendly or shouting out the real sources of their inspiration. That to me is copying. But I think that the only thing you can do about it is ask yourself, does this really hurt me? Does it hurt the things that matter? Which is your ability to make a living and your real relationships and your real life. And while it feels icky, and I think that the natural response is to get either sad or angry or sangry, <laughs> sad angry, <laughs> um, and be frustrated, go ahead and feel those feelings. I don't think people should stuff them down. Feel them, but then realize they can't actually touch you. The things that you care about aren't threatened. You may feel threatened, but you're not. And then inspiration to me is we're all inspired by each other. That is the nature of art. None of us is 100% original. We don't exist in a vacuum. We may be inspired by things we don't even remember looking at. So for me, the way I'm going to get, I'm so inspired by people in my field. I just like to shout them out all the time. I like to do little series on the women that are inspiring me that week. Or if I do a post that the styling, I know I was looking at a lot of so-and-so's work when I did it. I'll be like, you know, really inspired by so-and-so this week. Or if I get a business idea, you know, Jenna Kutcher is someone who has been a huge mentor and inspiration to me. So I shout her out. She did a guy to her 
uh, top five Instagram apps. And I was like, man, Instagram is so my space. That's a great idea. And I looked at hers. I was like, well, we use different apps, but there was one that she turned me on to that I included in my guide. So I decided I'll do that too, but with different apps and my own spin on it. But when I used, when I listed the app that she'd recommended, I just said, Hey, a shout out to Jenna Kutcher for turning me on to this. So I feel like inspiration, information, and knowledge should be given freely. That is what I'm in the business of doing. I love sharing my presets, everything I know about business, how I edit, how I take pictures. That's my passion. And I think that on the other side, I love to give credit. So I think as long as we're sharing freely, lifting each other up, and really focusing on, you know, hashtag community over competition, it's awesome. I love, I don't mind that and a lot of times there's a zeitgeist we are yeah. going to create and do things without even seeing each other do it because it's just the spirit of the times and like my best friend and I will often buy or wear the exact same thing and neither of us <laughs> like she copied me we're just like girl we're so same it's twinning <laughs> um and I think that ultimately when it's insidious you just know you feel yeah. it and it feels bad. Your spider senses tingle. It's, it's Yeah, you're just like, ooh, I have a – and it'll happen over and over and over again. But for me, when I see work that you know I can tell was inspired by mine or maybe the person who did it says, yeah, I was really inspired by Beth, that is something I celebrate. That is why I do what I do. I love seeing recipes and photography and styling and watching us all grow together as a community and different types of styles come and go. I think that's totally fine. You know, I don't own any of that. None of us do. It is a very different thing than the systematic and secretive copying of somebody. I love that. In fact, just yesterday I was out in the snow photographing balloons helium balloons and I got back and put it on my stories and like three other people messaged me with pictures that they had been out that day photographing balloons in the snow so exactly it's yeah there's that zeitgeist thing I don't remember seeing it anywhere they couldn't remember seeing it anywhere but we all came to a really similar conclusion on like admittedly like the one weekend where there was snow in the UK so yeah no exactly I mean I noticed a fellow blogger Alison Wu she just published a recipe for a really awesome cauliflower soup and then these awesome bliss balls and I looked at my cue when I already have shot I'm like oop I got a cauliflower soup and bliss balls and I like feel the need I'm like I swear I'm not copying you I just you know great minds think alike um but then sometimes like I really want to do some vegan nachos because my husband's vegan and I saw Heidi Swanson do that same thing and that is directly inspired by her and I will say I saw Heidi do vegan nachos. This is my take on it. And I think that as long, like I said, I, I like to give knowledge and inspiration and credit. I like to give it all. And I think as long as you remain giving in the community, you don't have to be paranoid about copying someone you're inspired by. Because I, I think that actually mimicry is a great way to learn. So if you're small and there's someone that and you're just starting out and there's someone that really inspires you, don't be afraid to try to reverse engineer their work. Yes. Maybe you do or don't post it, but that's how I learned. I just looked at what I really liked and I taught myself by recreating it either on my own time or posting it. And it, because my intention was never to copy them, but was to find my own voice, I naturally did that over time. So I never got stuck. So I wouldn't be afraid to be inspired. I don't want people to feel like we're all sitting here greedily being like, that's mine. <laughs> um, I don't feel that way at all. I, I love when people have similar styles to mine 
either on their own or because they were inspired by mine, that usually means we have something in common. Uh, it means that we might be friends and get along. And I just think that's such a big difference from someone um, trying to compete with you by copying you. Yeah, there's a really clear divide. I love the way you've put it. In fact, like on on my Insta Retreat course, one of the modules we do, we spend time like copying pictures we really like and doing exactly what you said, that reverse engineering, which if you go and do an art degree, like you'll spend time copying the great masters and working out how they achieved what they achieved and then turning that into your own voice. And it's turning it into your own voice that gives you the longevity because copying is a tool that you can use to get to get where you want to go. Exactly, exactly. And it's really a powerful tool. When I was learning, I spent a lot of time on Pinterest. And right now I'm actually teaching a four-week e-course on the art of food photography. And when we did our styling module, I encouraged them to go and create Pinterest boards and to spend time curating other people's work. And as an exercise, to just go in the same thing and reverse engineer, recreate a photo that really speaks to you. Even if you don't have their props, try to recreate that composition with like items laying around your house it's an amazing exercise in creating compositions for styling and you don't even have to have the right props because it's about the way the props are organized that really makes a composition powerful and even like you know oh the light in order to get the shadows they were getting the light must have been on the left and you kind of learn all these things that you wouldn't do until you're actually practically doing it in the moment exactly so yeah I hope that the community remains by and large open and uplifting. And for everything I know, it really is. I would say that the incidences of negative experiences is so minuscule compared to the positive experiences I've seen and heard about in the creative community, which is another reason I think if you have suffered through your life with some sort of disorder, that the creative community is actually a really great place to be. It is, I have found, and again, maybe I have my rose-colored glasses on or I've just been really lucky. I have found it to be such a positive, uplifting, open and sharing community. Um, No one has ever begrudged me anything. My idols deign to answer my questions. People helped me get my agent. My friend MN hooked me up with my book agent. You know, she wasn't, and this was when I very first started. I didn't even feel like I was very good. So the community has been such a huge support to me in my career. And I'm just so, so grateful for it. And I think it's so important to pay that forward as you gain success or traction in your brand to continue to lift up people who are starting because I truly believe that rising tides do lift all. I'm not a competition based thinker at all. I'm very competitive with myself. Don't get me wrong. I'm (laughs) like, you can do better. You can do better than that. Beat yourself. But I'm not competitive because there are billions of people in the world and there are billions of dollars floating out there and there's more and more people every day online and your tribe is your tribe. Nobody can really compete to that. We we all speak to a very specific niche. So to me, people used to ask me because I've been teaching everything I know at these retreats for so long, are you worried you're training your competition? And I was like, no, not at all. Cause they're them and I'm me. And it would take someone with a different sort of, you know, mental problem to, you know, become obsessed with you and try to actually be you. I, that doesn't happen frequently. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's always going to be, I've certainly had bad experiences, but they've been so, so infrequent that they're, you know, not that important in the overall 
view I have of that community. And I do, when, when it has happened, those rare occasions, I'm, I'm getting better at giving myself the calm and the space to step back. And then you can see it much more as like, okay, the reason they're having to rely so heavily on who I am or how I run my business is because they don't feel secure in their own ideas yet. And when you can look at it with that kind of compassion, because I, I can relate to that. I can remember what that feels like. I still feel like that quite frequently. So it's a lot easier than to be sympathetic and to see it as not a malicious act of someone's trying to steal from you, but someone is just trying to do the best they can and they see you as someone who knows what they're doing, which is kind of a compliment. It's true. Yeah, I think if you can just get in touch with that compassion, then all that poison, because anger really is poison. I said that in my caption this week. It feels bad. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. So if you can get in touch with that compassion, I think that's what helps get that anger out of you. And you can really have freedom from the negative emotions that come when you feel like you've been wronged. Because you do see, like you said, maybe they're just scared or nervous. Maybe they're a little lost or confused. Or, you know, maybe they just really look up to you. Maybe you're reading it all wrong. Maybe it looks insidious or malicious. And maybe it's not. Maybe also a lot of people, I do think, are, I would say, ignorant <laughs> to the etiquette. Yeah. And that maybe they meant no harm. Yeah. All of this kind of comes back around to a point that I often think about, which is that I think running your own business is like therapy. And I wonder how much you think being self-employed, running your business and being creative keeps you feeling at your best and kind of helps you manage your mental health. I definitely think it's a double-edged sword. Mm. I think having purpose uh, really helps me. I don't wake up and wonder what I should do that day. That's not a problem. <laughs> I mean, I wonder which thing I should do first, but I never feel aimless or lost in my days. I never feel like I need to fill the time. I'm never bored, which I think for me was actually a really big trigger. If I was bored, I went and stirred up trouble <laughs> to create some excitement <laughs> in my past life. But on the flip side, I have to be really careful that I don't run myself too hard. And I think this is going to depend on the illness you suffer from with bipolar, you know, and bipolar one in particular, there's bipolar two, which more strongly features depression. And while depression is something I experience, you know, and when I do, it is very intense. I also have these big long patches of manic upswings. And that's not something I think a lot of people who don't have loved ones or don't suffer from it themselves are familiar with. But it is characterized by sleeplessness, rapid thoughts, high energy. And when it starts, it can look really good. Mm. Because at first, you're just kind of you're like a train that's going faster, 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 faster. And then you run off the tracks and the thoughts are too fast and everything just sort of starts to disintegrate and can even eventually go to that place where there is a break with reality. So, so when we're talking voices and stuff that's not there um, – and for me, I have not experienced that end of the spectrum very much. So I feel fortunate in that. But the mania, I have to be careful. If I work too hard or I go too fast or I don't sleep enough, I will go crazy. <laughs> so as a business owner, for me, learning that delegation is not a weakness and also that you have to spend money to make money. I always thought hiring someone like a VA, a virtual assistant or a PA or someone to help around the house or someone to take care of my kid, you know, for a few days a week while I work. I always felt like that was some huge indulgence and also mm. that I just didn't have enough money to do it. But what I learned is when I started outsourcing, it freed me up 
to actually focus on the parts of my business where I'm the most impactful and generate more revenue. So the revenue I can generate and the hour that someone's watching my kid will pay them for a week, not just that time that they're with them. So it was to start thinking about the relationship between my time and money allowed me to covet my time more than my money and actually allowed me to make more but also free myself up so I didn't run myself into the ground. So not only am I spinning, not spinning my wheels, doing things I'm bad at. I'm also not spinning my wheels doing things that I'm not necessary for. And I find when I focus on what I'm necessary for, I have more time. I'm a better mom. I'm a better wife. I treat myself better. And I actually make more revenue when I spend more on outsourcing, which is an interesting side effect that I was always, I always knew that was true, but I was scared to kind yeah. of start making that investment. I was scared to take that leap. It is. It feels huge. And it's kind of linked, I think, to knowing your worth. In this case, quite literally, like knowing your financial worth, the financial worth of your time. And then it makes it much easier to start saying yes and no to the right projects, I found, because you're instantly like, well, hang on, that would mean, you know, two days travel and an overnight. And actually in that time, what could I be doing? What could I be doing for my business that would be growing it and, you know, producing revenue that that does not compare to what you're offering me for this project. Exactly. I always say I struggle with something called time optimism. And <laughs> it sounds nice, but it is a very big weakness. I think I have this. Yeah, it's like being a money optimist. You mean you think you have more than you do. (laughs) And that's not a good thing. Um, So it has been one of the greatest struggles for me as a business owner and as a creative to accurately estimate the time investment of a project. Because I'm always like, you know, someone will say, oh, give me a blog post. I'll be like, yeah, I'll just make a thing and shoot it and put it online. And then you're like, okay, actually, I'm going to be researching. I'm going to be developing. If we're talking, say, a recipe, then I'm going to be cooking, and then I'm going to test it again. And then we've got the dishes. Uh, Then we're probably going to do the photo shoot. And then we're going to have to clean up after the photo shoot. And then we're going to have to upload the photos and edit the photos, put the alt text in the photos, got to write the blog copy, got to type up the recipe according to the style guide, got to tag it, got to categorize it, got to make sure we got a Pinterest graphic and on and on. It's a huge time commitment, much more so than it sounds like at first blush. And learning that, I'm still learning. I still do it to myself. I overbooked myself in January horribly. And here I am preaching, reclaim your time. (laughs) Did not reclaim my time in January because I was too optimistic. And I have to learn, and I think a lot of us do who suffer from that, that you can't spend more time than you have, just like you can't spend more money than you have. And that you need to price your time accordingly, realizing, especially if you're an optimist, I think you'll underprice yourself because you think you have more time than you have. So it's not worth that much. When you realize how much time things take and how little time you actually have, I think that that's really liberating for people to really price what they're worth. Yeah, pricing what you're worth is a a whole issue. I feel like we could do a whole podcast on that because the people I speak to like that is a really common issue for so many people underpricing and and sometimes making a loss because by the time they've paid for their time and their supplies and everything else they're actually making minus money one thing that's helped me to really value my time is being a mum because you have this small person who is very demanding of their share of your time and you can't explain to them why they're not getting it if you do go into that time debt where you've taken on way too much. And I wonder how becoming a mom has changed you and changed the way you work, if at all. It definitely has. I think as a mom, you have to be more efficient. <laughs> Used to, I could really, you know, 
I could space out on Pinterest or something and not have to be as strict with my time blocks or with what I decided to do in that period of time. And now when that window is there, there is a task assigned to that window and that task is what needs to happen then because if not, (laughs) it may not happen. Mm. Because also like, as you know, I've got my daughter home sick today. Luckily she's downstairs with dad, but I couldn't have predicted that was going to happen. So kids are kind of this wild card. And something that I have found really helpful um, to help me mitigate, because I, I did find the first year of her life, I went into a lot of time debt. I got really stressed out because I was used to working the way it always worked. And that doesn't work with a kid. You end up really, really stressed out all the time. So working ahead of time. So it's not like I'm creating a blog post on Monday that I want to post on Wednesday. Instead, it's creating all the blog posts in February or for February that I want to post in January and batching, say, four in one day. So I'll have like an assistant or two, depending on how many we want to do, and we will just power through five while the baby's at the babysitters. And then I've got content for two and a half weeks out of one day. Well, two days, because again, it all has to be processed and edited. (laughs) There's that optimism again. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like, one day we're good to go. No. So I think batching my work and working ahead of time is a great way. So when those, it's like having an emergency fund. It's like a time emergency fund. So they say, save your money in case of an emergency, have a little work nest egg saved in case of an emergency. And that way, when she gets sick, the blog doesn't come to a grinding halt. Everything doesn't come to a grinding halt. So that has been a really, really great strategy for making sure things keep working, even when the unexpected pops up as it does. Oh, that's goals. I, I've still not achieved that. I, I will create myself that buffer and then I just gobble it up and start working yep. to deadlines again every time. Trust me, I'm in the exact same place. <laughs> I, I've got the concept, but I still have to execute sometimes. So if there's someone listening here who relates to the things we've been talking about today, but maybe feels like they're just not ready to get started, they're struggling with self-doubt or just feeling overwhelmed, what would be your message to them? It would be along the lines of a Nike ad campaign. (laughs) Just start. Just start. Do not wait until you've arrived because you never will. I haven't arrived. None of us have. If you just have a cell phone, start with a cell phone. Buy a camera on Craigslist if you want to start blogging. Also, something I like to clue people into is you don't even really have to have a blog anymore Mm. to have a successful business. You could just use social media and email lists and create little freebies for people and communicate with your people that way through email and social media. There are a lot of different ways to do it. So if I was just getting started, I would find a source for images for my brand, whether that was myself and my cell phone, me and a big camera, or even just hiring a photographer. I'd start an Instagram account. I would develop one awesome free thing for my audience. So whatever your gift is, whatever your area of expertise is, just write or create something amazing that can be delivered digitally, put that link in your profile and have that freebie. I use something called lead pages Mm -hmm. to capture email addresses. And so once you get those email addresses, you can maybe have your email service provider. So like MailChimp or ConvertKit. Yeah, ConvertKit's a good one. I use MailChimp, but I wish I'd use ConvertKit. But you can set it to automatically send them out a welcome letter. You can have them automatically send a series of seven emails. 
Um, and then you can start sending out weekly or monthly newsletters and you can start that way if a blog feels overwhelming or you can start the blog with that too. But I think that's a really great way to get started, whether you have a product or a service or events, whatever it is that you want to offer to your ideal customer, you can just start with an Instagram account, a freebie and an email list to really build that rapport with your audience. I'm so glad you said mailing list because it's something I hop on about all the time so many people I speak to don't have one and are relying just on that social media reach which I don't think it's enough and I don't think it's yours in the same way that a mailing list can be your own yeah no that is sort of the biggest thing I learned in 2017 (laughs) I should have learned it sooner Um, people always ask what was the biggest mistake you made and I used to say oh well I didn't really make any big mistakes I really I really didn't until I did Um, (laughs) and biggest mistake I have made in my business was neglecting my email list for six years. And that is a lot, a lot of wasted opportunity. And what you just said is completely true. You don't own your social media. As I like to say, our friend Mark Z owns social media. Mm. Facebook and Instagram are owned by Mark Zuckerberg. Twitter is owned by someone else. Pinterest is owned by someone else. The only thing you own is your email list. And as Anyone who uses Facebook knows if you're a business, you can't really get your stuff out there unless mm. you pay. And Instagram is probably, as in my experience, uh, is going that way too. So it is so, so important to build that email list and to just, and people are like, well, what do I send? Send whatever you would send on social media, on a blog, just send value whether that's just letters, how-tos, recipes, your blog posts if you have a blog. But that email list really is the key. It is the key to a successful online business, in my opinion. I wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) Yes. And I will link to all of the kind of the mailing list providers and things that we've mentioned in the show notes for anyone who's suddenly panicking and thinking they need to get started on that. (laughs) Beth, where can people find more of your work online to check it out? You can find all of my work on localmilkblog.com. You can also find me over on Instagram at local underscore milk. And soon we will be relaunching bethkirby.com, which is going to have a lot more of the behind the scenes, nuts and bolts side of my business. Local Milk is where you'll find my recipes, travel and lifestyle content. And bethkirby.com will be a place for all the stuff about social media marketing, business, personal finance, photography, editing, and sort of the behind the scenes. Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. Show notes for this week's episode. You know the drill. They're at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 38 because this is episode 38. And I link to some of the things that Beth's talked about, all of her social media profiles so that you can swing by, say hello and let her know your thoughts on the episode. I'd love it if you tagged me too, because I get really excited whenever I see people talking about the podcast. A final note to let you know, I have another question and answer episode coming up with me. So if you have any burning questions about anything Instagram or social media or mailing lists or any of that jazz that you know I love to get nerdy about, swing by my Instagram leave me a comment or send me a tweet with your question and I'm going to gather them all up and answer as many as I can for the next episode. I hope you're having a brilliant productive week and I will speak to you soon. Mm -hmm.